This is the Gospel for Life, where we have four Treasure Valley pastors committed to showing that the gospel is not just for that religious part of your life, but for all of life. You never graduate from the gospel. Around the table today is Russell Herman, pastor at Cloverdale United Reformed Church, Jonathan Van Hoogen from Dayspring United Reformed Church, Vinnie Hanke from Valley Life Community Church, and Ryan Hemphill from Treasure Valley Reformed Presbyterian Church. To catch earlier broadcasts, just search The Gospel for Life wherever you subscribe. To find out more about this ministry and about our annual conference, go to ReformationBoise.com. Welcome back to The Gospel for Life. It's good to be with you. Um, we've been dealing with sin, overcoming sin, since techniques um, to try to defeat Christians so that they don't live to the fullness of who they are in Jesus Christ. And so we are hopefully tr- providing you with tools to not only understand uh, the nature of sin and temptation and, and the dangers of our flesh um, that continues to war against the new life that we have in Christ, but hopefully pointing you to ways to live um, the life that God is calling us to, that we are on our way to a day in which we will be free from the presence of sin. And in the meantime, hopefully, moment by moment, um, step by step, we are becoming more and more free from the presence of sin in the here and now. Um, that That's what we call sanctification. And sanctification, I would love to say, is always just a continuous upward trajectory that we never have defeats and never have... Um, times when we take a step back, but that's not the nature of how sanctification works. It's more of a peaks and valleys, and the overall, to use a math term, the overall slope is positive, but it's not always positive. Um, There are downward trajectories along the way, and so this is really hopefully giving you tools so that you have less downward trajectories and more upward, and, and that we live more in line with what we are called to, to be in, in Christ Jesus. We'll give this mental image of a yo-yo going upstairs uh, for our kids as we talk through this. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's good. That is. So yesterday we talked about meditating on who God is, meditating on who Jesus Christ is and what he has done on behalf of his people, and meditating on ourselves. And in, in, in that one, it's the idea of having the the, the word expose what still lies within um, our hearts and, and minds with regard to what is outside of how we ought to be in Christ, and that the, the Word is shedding light upon those, those things. But this is a battle. We have a real enemy in the devil, and we have a real enemy in our own flesh. Our own nature is contrary to God. And so we have new life in Christ, but we still have the old nature. And so our own flesh, the devil, will work against any of these things. It will react against. You start meditating on who God is and meditating on who Jesus Christ is, the flesh is going to push back and be ready for that. And so we have four things that we want to talk about today of of how the flesh pushes back against those activities. And the first is that the flesh will try to exploit our weaknesses. When we talked uh, yesterday about uh, meditating on ourself in the Word and understanding who we are, one of the things that we have to realize is the devil knows us better than we know ourselves. Mm. He mm. and so he exploits our weakness. He knows where he knows where those weaknesses are, 
uh, somebody said that if you were to open up a, a piano and you were to sing a note, you would see one string vibrating in there. It would, it resonates. This is what the devil does to us. He just whispers into our life that where that where that vibration is going to take place, and uh, he's going to exploit that weakness. And we need to know, you know, we we need to know our our weaknesses as as well. We need to know how God will, uh, you know, where those temptations are going to show up in our life. So. When we talk about our own weaknesses, this is where I, I think it can be helpful to several things. One, keep a journal. Write down the different struggles of, of that you experience, and you can then find patterns um, in your own heart and life. But second, I think it's it, when I was a kid, that the, the phrase was that you have an accountability partner. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is where a good Christian friend that you know and trust and you can be open and honest with and and have godly conversations about the struggles of life also comes into play or or a godly spouse of course godly spouse yeah. i think this ties into what we talked about last last episode too is knowledge of self that journal can become that that guide mm-hmm. um, because frank quite frankly we just we just forget and there are things that we can review and, and recognize in ourselves and then be aware of what our weaknesses is uh, or what our weaknesses are um, I think also a, a place where the flesh presses is the shame and guilt that follows sin mm-hmm. as a weak spot. So um, being full of that after we sin and kind of the destruction of giving into temptation and the flesh and Satan would love to use that to drive us away from Christ rather than driving us to Christ. And so being aware of that too, that uh, Jonathan said, I think to open the episode that while, while we are a sinner, we are also a saint and a son, adopted children of God and being reminded of that truth is, is important. Um, when, when our weaknesses are being exploited. So the advice that we were given yesterday is is this meditation. And to, the meditation involves time. Yep. And so one of the ways that the flesh pushes back against that is the tyranny of the urgent. What's interesting, though, on this one is that the flesh will tell you what it considers to be urgent, whereas the, the Bible, the Holy Spirit, uh, will tell us something else that is urgent. And so when we're when we're falling under the prey of the ter- tyranny of the urgent, we're actually letting the flesh def- redefine what the urgent is. Example: Jesus, uh, when he was out healing crowds and preaching the gospel, he would go out multiple times and go and commune with the Father. And his disciples almost every time were like flabbergasted. What? Everybody is waiting for you to come and heal them. What are you doing? Well, he understood what the most urgent thing was, which was communion with God. Yeah, uh, Martin Luther said, I have so much to do, I must spend an hour in prayer. (laughs) And it's so easy, right? So we all have busy lives. It always drives me nuts when people always talk about how busy they are. Like they're the exception somehow. No, everybody's busy. It's just, what are we busy with? I mean, what the, I mean, so. There is always going to be more to do than what we have time. Mm-hmm. And the tyranny of the urgent means that we jam our lives full of things that are actually secondary, that are not essential, that we actually can and should say no to. I always just shake my head sometimes with some people. That I'm like, you do realize that you're unnecessarily busy. This is kind of a time management thing too, yeah. you know, with yeah. regard to you know our own personal lives. You know, somebody. I used to have a little 
card in my little cubicle years ago that said, is this goal achieving or tension relieving? Mm -hmm. So very often I'm trying to relieve attention from something else instead of applying myself to the goals that crisis set for me. There's a great book uh, called Sabbath as Resistance, Saying No to the Culture of Now by Walter Bregeman. It really outlines a lot of what we're talking about, but how uh, intentionally slowing down for loving union with God helps Mm -hmm. us build the ability to say no to things that the world would tell us are urgent that would get in the way of communing with God. And and uh, you know the you know the whole idea of of setting aside the the one day and seven uh, is so important to our life to the weakness that we have throughout the week. I mean you know seven days without God makes one weak, and uh, and the idea of setting aside that time where we're we're encouraging one another when we're listening to God's word and sitting under that God's word and being led to places in God's word that we didn't pick up on our our own. It's so important uh, to, you know, defeating sin in our life. You know, in fact, a lot of counseling sessions could be actually done away with if people were actually in church on Sunday morning and in the evening or in a Bible study during that week. It solves a lot of problems. I um, work with young people now for 15 years in the classroom, 25 plus years coaching and I would constantly have conversations with them that every piece of paper needs a margin and that the problem is that too many of us write in the margins. And God designed us to to have rest. He he designed us in a, in a way, not just the weekly rest, but he doesn't want us to jam every moment of our lives with activity. And we can't meditate unless we stop unless we have margin and we just need to figure out ways to say okay i can make everything essential but everything's not essential because if everything is essential then nothing is essential so then we have to be honest and step back and begin to go through the hard steps of saying what are the things that i can actually remove what can i give away what can i give to somebody else what is really actually not my responsibility and it, it, it then allows for that space for the meditation that we really desperately need. Third is a duty swap. What, how does the flesh get us with the duty swap? This is the classic Mary and Martha scenario we see in the Gospels where we have uh, Mary sitting at Jesus' feet enjoying uh, fellowship and, and time in the presence of Christ while Martha is busy with good things, hospitality, generosity, enter- entertaining, but then she becomes embittered toward her sister for neglecting uh, those duties. Uh, that's what we're talking about is exchanging the uh, busyness of Christian activity for the, the truth of, of Christian living. So this is Christian doing and not Christian being. And the flesh is going to suggest that, well, you can do this now and then do that later. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'd say even the institution of the church, this is a great trap we can we can fall into because people in the church will cheer you on as you do the work of the Christian work um, without any insight into ne- the neglect of your soul. And so there, there are worldly rewards for, for falling into this trap. And I think, you know, depending, I think different Christians in different churches can fall off either side of the horse. Really, the inner life and the outward activity are two wings of the plane. Yep. And if with one wing, if one wing is missing, the plane goes down. So you kind of need to know who, what is your proclivity towards? Is your proclivity towards the inner life or outward activity? And, and fight against that proclivity to keep the plane in the air. Yep. 
the last one is the big promise. How does the big promise... You know, the Reformation started with a big promise, right? Like Luther, when the lightning was hitting the ground, and he said, I'll, I'll, I'll dedicate myself to Saint, whatever. whatever. Saint Anne. Saint, Saint Anne, yeah. I'll, 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 I'll become a monk, <laughs> ironically. <laughs> so the whole Reformation started with this big promise. Mm-hmm. And it's the whole idea of we can look at it and say, I, need, I know I need this. I know that I need to pause and I need to meditate on who God is. I need to meditate on Jesus Christ. I, I need to meditate on my own self. <laughs> with regard to my sin in my heart and life and be exposed by the word, but I'll do it tomorrow. The big, yeah, it's, it's, it's procrastination on a spiritual level is what it is. It's, it's just saying, I will do this, but you never get around to doing the very thing that you've uh, set your heart promise to. We talked about that the flesh knows how to eat an elephant, but sometimes we don't know how to eat an elephant. And, and so what we do is we do these big promises. And so we want to go from zero to 60 and point one. And, right. and instead, what we need to do is just take the next step. Mm-hmm. And, and it's okay if that next step is a baby step. Do the next thing. Yeah, do, do the, the next, next thing. thing. Do the and, next right thing. Yep. And, and do the next thing that's, that doesn't have to be some grandiose. I mean, I, I don't know how many times I have these conversations with people that are like, you know what, I'm not spending enough time in God's word. Um, and so tomorrow I'm going to sit down and I'm going to read the book of Genesis. So, you know, just so, read I Genesis mean, it, it 1. It even happens when you're, you're in conversation with friends when you tell somebody you'll pray for them. Well, just stop and pray for them. You know, do the next right thing. Don't, you know, don't put it off. I'm sorry I wasn't looking at the time. That's all we have time for. We'll see you tomorrow.